Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One, back with another episode of the Box and One podcast. Thrilled to have my guy, Bryce Simon. You know him as Motor City Hoops. Bryce is back on. We're going to do a really fun breakdown of the Kansas Jayhawks and a couple of supremely intriguing prospects. Young guy, El Marco Jackson, who has potential to be a one-and-done. Kevin McCuller, we'll talk a lot in diving into his film. He's been a popular player in the online scouting community for a number of years. And of course, the rest of the Jayhawks roster and how it all fits together. But Bryce, my friend, how you been? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. You know, I was telling you before we recorded, this may be the one, hopefully not the last one, but it's probably the first podcast I've recorded where the people close to me in my life actually want to listen to me talk about the content. Uh, I live in Kansas. For those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with me, I do a Pistons podcast, and that's kind of what I'm known for. I do some draft content, but nobody around here, Coach Spins, wants to listen to me talk about the Pistons. And so I'm like, I'm sending it out to all my family when you ask me on. I'm like, come listen. We're talking about the Jayhawks. So we'll see. Maybe they're, they're in here listening live. Yeah, rock chalk, man. It's going to be a fun episode. How far away from the university do you live? So that's what's funny is actually I live on the complete opposite corner of the state. So if I want to get if I want to check out a game at Fog Island Fieldhouse, it's a solid six, seven hour drive. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little farther than I would have anticipated here. But it's a big state and it's a state that goes crazy about their Jayhawks. Oh, man. Yes, sir. We know that. And look, Bill Self has my respect and admiration as one of the best coaches in college basketball. And he's been that way for the better part of 25 years, just an unbelievable tactician, really good recruiter. But as Bryce and I are going to talk about probably the spot where we need to start in this entire discussion, before we get into the players and the skills that we like, is just how this entire Jayhawks roster is going to fit together. Because while they won a national championship two years ago and you know, they're returning some really impactful pieces. It's still not as seamless of a fit as you might think. Uh, Bryce, just right off the cuff, what are your kind of initial thoughts when you look at the roster for the Jayhawks? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talent, right, coach? And so that stands out to me. But as we are doing this, and I told you, I was like, I think I want to talk, not solely, obviously, we got to talk about El Marco and Kev, but you know, this roster is really interesting and it really is going to affect at least where one of these guys, how much playing time he gets. And it's going to affect his draft stock in some way. I think McCuller is going to, he's going to fit into the starting rotation one way or the the other coach spins. It may be what position he, he fits in at, but there's some really good college players as we were talking about beforehand. They may not be NBA prospects, but they're really good college players. And there just seems to be a void at the, I don't know what, wing forward position. Do they want to go small? Are they going to play bigger? Then are you playing your best five? It's just really fascinating to see how it's going to play out. No doubt about it. So in that vein, like I whipped up this little graphic that for everybody who's on YouTube is going to be able to see here, kind of going through two potential rotations. So let's look at this first one here. And I think the key context to know, Dewan Harris starting point guard from last year returning unbelievable defender and leader and just the guy who runs the team I don't think that there is a world in which he's not starting for the Jayhawks this year just too good of a college player I believe defensive player of the year last year in the Big Big 12 just unbelievable at the point of attack the prize and for many college outlets the number one transfer this entire year was Hunter Dickinson leaving Michigan and coming to Kansas, seven-foot lefty big man, really good touch on the interior, smart passer, can pick and roll, can pick and pop a little bit. Kansas probably got him a real healthy NIL deal, and that swung him to come to the Jayhawks. I don't think there's any way he's going to be making the money he's making and not starting this year. And as we talked about Kevin McCuller, another guy who's just been so disruptive for them on the defensive end of the floor, one of the few true wings that they have on this roster. I have a really difficult time not seeing McCullers start either. So if we put those three guys in the starting rotation, then the rest of how Bill Self figures out this team becomes really important around them. Here is potential rotation number one, which has Harris at the one, El Marco Jackson, a freshman, who's about six foot three, maybe six four, playing that two guard position. Nick Timberlake, another transfer from Towson, not far from where I'm at right now. 
uh, 6'4 shooter who can really get them up in high volume would kind of play the three for them. But that gives them a little less size in their backcourt, about 6'1", 6'3", 6'4". McCuller as like a long-armed 6'5", 6'6", wing would then play the four. And then you have Hunter Dickinson at the five. But K.J. Adams is a guy that Bryce and I were talking about a little bit before we went on air here. Six, seven, strong-bodied, started for them at the five last year. I really liked Adams, particularly just in re-watching his, his film uh, to get ready for this episode here. And it's more so about him as a college player than it is necessarily a pro prospect, but really good passer, super strong and physical on the interior. Uh, this is a tough pill to swallow where you've got an incumbent starter from a really good team that would then move to the bench in order to accommodate Elmarco Jackson sliding into the starting rotation. What are your thoughts when you look at this group? Yeah, I mean, I like it, but I'm with you. And I guess just having watched KU for as long as I have and just the vibe I have about Bill Self, I just find it really hard to believe that Bill Self is not going to start KG Adams. KG Adams just seems like a player that Bill Self would love and wants in the line. And I think a lot of people would say, well, can you work Adams and Dickinson together? The floor spacing... And we're going to get into this with McCuller. McCuller doesn't exactly provide a ton of floor spacing right now anyway. I mean, if he did, he'd be in the NBA right now, right? Yes. Like, I think we both agree yeah. on that. So what I like here is there you, you have Timberlake, you have Jackson. There's a little bit of floor space. Here, here's a question from me, Coach, because I'm not as familiar with this kid. Johnny Furphy, is he... Is he ready? Is he not ready? I think I read something like would have been a top 50-ish recruit in this class if if he had, you know, was part of the rankings. Is he gonna play into this? How much is he gonna play into this? So that's the giant wild card here, Bryce, that I, I don't really have a great answer for. Okay. I haven't done a ton of of a deep dive on, on Furphy for film. Um, I know Sam Vicini, the guy who I work with over in the Game Theory podcast, is a really big fan of Furphy yeah. and, and a lot of people who have watched him over the last year, like functionally strong. He's not the biggest build, but he's functionally strong, really athletic, can score in bunches. Like there's a lot to like about him. I just haven't seen his film enough to really know how much to slot him in a rotation or how much of a threat he would be to really start from day one. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting to me is how much he's going to be able to give them. I just love having Harris and Jackson. Harris, Jackson, McCuller on the floor together defensively. Yep. I mean, they are going to give people nightmares. I just, again, I just have a hard time believing KJ Adams doesn't get a start for the Jayhawks. And I'll say this as well for a lot of people predicting preseason number one for them. I have some questions about the overall depth of this team. Sure. And, and shooting is still a concern. Coach spins, yep. you know, you bring in Timberlake. I realize, you know, 40% from three, I think on almost six attempts or something. I, I have it in my notes, but outside of that, there's not a whole lot of proven productivity from beyond the three point line. No, not at all. And that's where, you know, going smaller in theory of having Jackson and Timberlake on the floor at the two, three would solve some of those issues. But then we look at this, like you mentioned, bringing KJ Adams back into the fold, just being a, a bill self type of guy. If you start Adams and Dickinson together and you have Harris, who is a shaky shooter at the one, you need as much floor spacing as you can around them. And look, McCuller is not going to be removed from that starting rotation because he provides so much on the defensive end, good connective passer, and he can be a shooter, which is again what we will dive into when we get to the yep. film of him. But I have a really difficult time, as good as I believe El Marco Jackson is, a really difficult time seeing him start above Nick Timberlake because of the need for floor spacing. That doesn't mean that Jackson can't shoot it, but what Timberlake does with movement, we know how Bill Self has a really deep playbook and utilizes these guys well to create action for others. They can do a lot of high-low stuff because both Adams and Dickinson yes. are fantastic passers. But if they're going to play through those two bigger guys, then it almost feels like El Marco Jackson, like, how does he necessarily fit with this group? And the one guy we haven't talked about yet, Arterio Morris, yep. transfer coming over from Texas, really talented kid as well. Doesn't have the same positional versatility or size maybe as on Marco Jackson. Like Jackson can pretty easily play the two. I, I see Morris as much more of a one. 
this is going to be a fascinating development in the preseason here for Kansas. What rotations they play, how Bill Self really wants to piece these things together, because as we'll talk about, El Marco Jackson, supremely talented, probably talented enough to be a one-and-done and a potential lottery guy, but he's got to carve out consistent role for him in Kansas first if he's going to earn that designation. And this kind of rotation picture is a huge part in trying to figure that out first. Yeah, I mean, we, I guess we've seen some guys as a six-man. What was it? Was it Marvin Williams off the North Carolina team right. all those years ago that was the six-man on that team and you know got drafted high? But it just it would seem hard to believe that El Marco is going to be a lottery pick. You know, in that role, I, I just I, I don't see it. But as I look at that lineup, Coach, I just kind of wonder if Self is going to want to go to that high-low. You said it. Yep. He has the two guys. That can I, I really like Hunter Dickinson as a college basketball yep. player. I really do. I, I think he's really good. Um, obviously, as a Pistons fan, I have a lot of Michigan followers. They are not a fan. I get it. I understand. <laughs> I, I, I He probably got a really good NIL deal is, is, is what I would say. And he's going to be a really good player. And, and, you know, him and KJ are probably there for the next two years, coach. I think yeah. Dickinson still has another year of eligibility, the COVID year or whatever. So the, we may see that front court together for the next two years. But, you know, the spacing is interesting. You can't run high-low if, you know, weak side is all the way crashed down into the paint. So, Right. I I do think they will be a really good defensive team to watch. And and that is why I have a ton of optimism for this Jayhawks group on a college standpoint. But let's start to shift the conversation to the draft stuff and the guys that we're looking for. Because I think one of the tone setters, while he wasn't defensive player of the year in the Big 12 last year, is Kevin McCuller. And there's certainly an argument to be made that, his brand of defense is most important for NBA translation because of the positional versatility that he brings to the table. So we're diving into the clips here. Again, go join us over on YouTube. Bryce, the rules here are stop us whenever you want to talk through some clips, rewind anything. But we're starting here with the on-ball reps. I think he's very reactive. He's long-armed. You see the positional versatility here. He is against Keontae George, a guy who lit up summer league, like ends up getting a a hand on his pull-up jump shot, just really good instincts. I love how he fights through screens, kind of slides laterally, blocks a lot of shots from behind. We'll talk about his quick hands. Go back to that one right there, because I want to make a point on a bunch of these clips, Coach, is I think Kevin – just go ahead and – just notice time and score, guys, as we're watching yep. this clip. So this one here, KU's up three with 30 seconds left, and he gets a big-time block. It, you know, I watched a bunch of these games live. I watched a bunch of Kevin McCuller film. He just made a bunch of winning plays, no matter how he had played throughout the rest of the game. You talked about the versatility. I love that. One thing I had in my notes is sometimes I hate that KU does switch as much as they do because he couldn't just lock into a Keontae George for the yep. entire game. You know what I mean? So yep. there'd be a DHO or a handoff or whatever. Now he switched on to somebody else. And so sometimes I don't think he got a chance to be that stopper of the other team's best player at all times because they were switching. But I love just kind of the the winning plays he made at end, end of games that were just big-time plays. Yeah, had a ton of them throughout the year. Again, this is almost two blocks in one. Gets the first one, sticks with the play, wraps it up to force a jump ball. Unbelievable winning play there. He's strong enough to be able to guard in the post. Walls up. Again, he's got really good length to him, but strong chest to be able to fight in those situations as well. And there's those quick hands. This is going to be a theme. Oh, man. Watching these razor quick hands on ball, ton of deflections, strips guys before they're able to go up with their shot. He's just, he's got real basketball instincts to him without being uh, a guy who's out of position. And you'll notice a lot of these steals or turnovers, he just puts it on the ground and pushes in transition right away. He loves to get out and run. So one thing I love about what McCuller does is you just said he's never out. So right there. If we can go back and then pause it right before he doesn't get out of position. So I think a lot of players, so pause. Yeah, that's fine. A lot of players would like reach right here 
coach yep. spins. You know, they take their right hand, they'd reach across Filipowski's body, and then they would either get it or they'd be out of position or they'd foul. But as the play continues, McCuller is still moving his feet and sliding with Filipowski and then waits for the perfect time and then aggressively goes. I think he has the best hands in the country. Like straight up, I, I feel very comfortable with a couple of things. I think he has the best hands defensively in the country, just how active and accurate they are. And then I think he is one of the best off-ball perimeter defenders in the country. Just And I know we'll get to it, but his rotations, his scram switches, that stuff. But I just wanted to point that out. He does it without losing his position. He does. And again, moving his feet, continuing to contest. He go. almost he waits for guys to bring the ball up to him into <laughs> yes. a spot where he can deflect it. Like a lot of people believe that guys who get steals are just really quick instinctually at reaching into passing lanes or undercutting guys' dribbles. Like, no, you're just reactive enough and ready so that when they move the ball in an area you can get it that's where you get your hands on it. And that's what McCuller is really great at. At some t- point, it's got to come to you. I mean, there, yeah. there's some scenario, but if you're between the offensive player and the basket, at some point it's going to come. That's I love that right yes. there where he just stunts. And he's so smart. He is. He is. So this is a play we'll kind of talk through and walk through a little bit because it shows quick hands and positioning. He's guarding kind of the dunker spot in the short corner. Side pick and roll happens right above him. He rotates, and instead of helping uphill to leave his man on guard, you can see – uh, Iowa State player standing there in the dunker spot with his hands up, signaling that he believes McCuller is going to go commit to that short roll at the nail. McCuller kind of bluffs at that, stays home and recovers, waits for the driver to take one bounce towards him, and then he collapses, gets <laughs> his hand on it, and is going the other way. It's an unbelievably smart kind of cat and mouse game. When you pair that basketball IQ with the winning plays, the motor and energy that he able is able to defend with. It's fantastic. This guy has gotten more hip bruises from diving into the scorer's table than anybody in the country last year. Like he will find ways to shoot passing lanes in transition to dive on loose balls. He is a winning basketball player, not just for his mind and his on ball defense, but the energy and the hustle that he brings forward. And I just want to say, so that Texas clip where he dove out of bounds and saved the ball, I I wrote an article over at Draft Digest about that game, about McCullough. I had to stop clipping defensive plays in the first half, Coach, because I already had so many, you know, I kind of have a little bit of a time limit on how long it can be. And I was halfway, I was through the first half, and I'm like, I'm just going to stop clipping stuff because there's already so many heady plays and good possessions. And I think he's also a kid that understands scouting reports, and that plays into a lot of this as well. He is really smart and understand KYP, right? That's rule number six of, of basketball. Know your personnel. Know your personnel. Uh, and, and with that, his help defensive IQ kind of shows off in that area. It's one thing to know the man that you're guarding. It's another to understand what the opposing team is trying to accomplish and be aware of the four guys off ball and yes. what their role is really going to be. So we're going to go through a bunch of clips here talking about his help defensive IQ. Again, here comes kind of a, a short roll play that we're seeing. I'll rewind this one so we can see. He's guarding the ball screen, fights over the top. Because Kansas is a team that likes to hard hedge or show, they're kind of hitting the pocket pass to Texas Tech. There's a, a rotation from Jalen Wilson to the top of the charge circle. And his man, Jalen's man, is now unguarded as he's cutting towards the basket. McCullough, standing above the free throw line, sees it, quickly rotates down, pins him to the glass. And just, again, 51-55 under seven minutes. So it's not the very end of the game, Coach, but we're talking about a huge moment of the game against his ex-team. And then as this clip starts again, KU's up five with under four minutes to go. I just feel like a lot of them, I'm not saying blocks and these things don't matter throughout the entire 40 minutes. He just made a lot of them when it really, really was amplified. Absolutely. And here, again, he sees and understands a lot of coaches would call this maybe an undisciplined rotation off a strong side shooter, but he sees two things. One, his teammate Grady Dick, who we all know at this point was a heavily targeted defensive player last year. Teams tried to go at him one-on-one, mismatch post him whenever they felt like they could. McCuller also reads the back of his head and says, there's no way he's turning around and seeing me coming here. I'm just going to come and get to this, gets a hand on it. And again, trying to push and go in transition unbelievable unbelievable instincts so these are my favorite clips yes that we we were able to put together so really from the weak side and we do a drill in our practice almost every day called fire where we're working on who is going to be the tagger 
at the rim. When a ball screen happens and two defenders show to the ball, somebody has to help and chip down on the roller. And that is almost always going to be the lowest opposite defender. Well, if you look here, there's nobody in the opposite corner. Kansas State does a really good job of raising their weak side players far above that spot. So McCuller is going to be tasked with the tag. It's just not a conventional setting where he's already standing in position. So here comes an early tag where he's able to shoot the passing lane, anticipate that they're going to throw it to the roller and really get there. I'm pretty sure here the guy throwing this pass, and I believe this is yep. Marquise Noel, it is, just yep. looks at this and says, there's no way McCullough is going to get there in time. And then it's an oh shit, McCullough's there in time. And well, he's and off it, running the other way. I mean, Marquise Noel, we, we saw it all NCAA tournament. He throws a live dribble left-hand hook pass. It's not like it took him forever to get the pass out of his hands. McCullough just reads things that well. And Such I think we have one player. coming where he does the other, right? Is that what's coming here where he tags and then, yep. So oh, here's, a, yep, here's another tag, and you get to see the quick hands on display. So Oklahoma running another side ball screen, two to the ball from Kansas. McCuller, one foot in the lane, ready to react to this. Ball goes to the short roll, and he's there to swipe at that thing and force a turnover. But, Bryce, this is the possession that okay, you're talking we go. about here. Yep. One of my favorite from the year. McCuller in position to tag, realizes <laughs> that the pass is not going to be there, starts to recover right away. And he anticipates the skip pass, steals it to go the other direction. What a fantastic play. I absolutely love seeing that from a guy like him. And this, so there's some clips that you guys, you put together that were ones that throughout the year really stood out to me. And this was one as well. I was so glad this clip was in there because this shows a multitude of things, including what you talked about earlier, just his multiple effort, his, you know, how hard he'll play and how hard he'll work. So let's set the stage again. Bryce has talked about winning time and winning moments, close games, 31-29 with 40 seconds left in the half. And, and I'm a huge believer that how you finish a half and how you start a half are incredibly important moments in a game, whether it's clock management, making sure that you have energy coming out of the locker room, getting the right shots, preventing guys from getting momentum heading into halftime. Like all of that is important for winning basketball. And this is TCU running essentially a 2-3 low formation where they've got a high pick and pop taking place because they know Kansas is going to show two to the ball. That's what they do against ball screens. And they have and TCU has lowered their three other offensive players towards the baseline, two in the corners and one in the dunker spot. That is where Kevin McCullough is guarding. So what would normally happen on a pick and pop is that the Next closest defender on the opposite side of where the ball is has tagging responsibilities. It's really called, we call it the third man in. His job is to either take that pick and pop shooter if he's a lethal threat or stunt at him and try to buy enough time for a recovery on the pick and pop. Well, because there is nobody in that opposite wing, it's going to be either a major rotation to get to that pick and pop or you're completely leaving somebody unguarded in order to do so. Well, Kevin McCuller actually sees and recognizes this. He's standing atop the charge circle, and he rotates to get a quality contest on the pick and pop. It, he doesn't get a finger on the basketball, but he forces a miss with his urgent closeout. Kansas cannot get the offensive rebound. It finds its way to TCU. McCuller, after his closeout to the top of the key, has what I think pretty wisely leaked out and tried to see if Kansas is going to be able to get him a quick one in transition. Well, they don't secure the rebound, so now what does he have to do? Scramble back into the play. He sprints <laughs> into the frame and stuffs a jump shot in the corner. What a remarkable play. Yeah, I mean, like I say, just effort, understanding. How many times do we see guys in McCuller's position on the very first shot attempt see it, but like, oh, man, it's too late. I'm just going to hang out here. And instead, he just gives the effort to go. Like you said, it's smart play probably to leak out. The closeout was so hard. He wasn't getting himself stopped and back into the rebound anyway. Four other Jayhawks were in the lane. And then, but he continues to play. Again, how many guys would have just stood at half court as that ball went around offensively for TCU? And he gets back in. I'll say that I don't know when we're going to get into why McCuller didn't say in the draft or where we thought he would have went in 2023, but it sure as heck has nothing to do with his defense. I'll say that much. His defense was so, so good. 
And the next stuff we're going to talk about is probably why he's headed back to Kansas, uh, along with some NIL money, I think, has played into that as well. Yeah, McCullers' defense is outstanding from a help to, you know standpoint, from the on-ball versatility and impact that he brings to the table. At 6'5", with a really long arms, like he checks a lot of boxes for NBA teams on the defensive end of the floor. Yep. But the offense has to continue to come around, and that's where – we're going to go next with our set of clips here is kind of looking at the Kevin McCuller offense. And look, I don't think it's a secret to say that if you haven't shown a lot of versatility or impact as a primary player and kind of a self-creator your first couple of years in college, that's not likely to be your NBA role. So what McCuller really needs to buy into is being a smart, impactful off-ball player, somebody who can thrive off of others, and we'll see the positives that come with that, but we'll also see kind of the main area where that really falls short right now, Bryce. And let's start with the spot-up shooting, because when you're an off-ball player, that's really what it comes down to. McCuller... You've got some numbers on your, yeah, uh, your I do. Chi-Chi here. Why don't you get into those? Yeah, so, you know, just via synergy, it was average on spot-ups overall. But let's just get into the actual three-point. So he's 30% this past year on catch-and-shoot threes. But here's what's encouraging, and I know you'll have some clips where it looks good. His last year at Texas Tech, he was actually 38% overall on catch-and-shoot threes and 44% on unguarded catch and shoot threes so he has done it for an entire season in his college career and I put it in my notes I don't have the numbers to back this part up coach but it seemed like you just want him to knock these ones down these corner catch and shoot threes I don't even care if he makes them on the wing or the top of the key if the the corner catch and shoot threes are 40 percent I think he's an NBA player and probably a rotation NBA player and it just was so inconsistent as the clips are going to show Yes, uh, I think that hits the nail right on the head here. We've seen him make some, and particularly the unguarded. I'm glad you brought up the unguarded stats from his time at Texas. And another big one right there. That took him from down two to up one with, you know, into the game. Under a minute in the game. He was unbelievable in the closing minutes of that Oklahoma State game. A really, really fantastic player who who sealed things for them in major, major ways. Uh, When he has time, to get his feet underneath him and raise up into his shot, he's pretty good. And and the really the the scout on him coming out of Texas Tech was don't worry about the overall three point shooting percentage numbers because he had to take so many bad off the dribble ones within yep. a horrid Texas Tech offense that those numbers will regulate when he gets to Kansas. And unfortunately, it kind of I don't want to say regressed, but the numbers don't back up a lot of the hopes that we had for him. And he's very inconsistent in key ways. You know, the shot right now, there's some stiffness in his mechanics. I don't want to break down too much of it as a multi-year guy. But what really bothers me is that he tends to miss left to right. Yep. It, it's there are some times when he has some depth precision, depth perception issues, but a lot of his misses particularly in the corners, you can see they clank off the side of the rim or even those off the corner of the backboard. And look, one shot and one miss like this is not the end of the world. It happens at times, but these are two, three, four, five clips and moments of him where he really can't even find the rim shooting from the corner. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and we're going to get into the other stuff If he does this, again, he does the other stuff well enough to be a really good off-the-ball offensive player. I I almost hate to simplify something so much to, well, it just depends on the shot. For Kevin McCuller, I think it even simplifies more. I I think it's just the corner three-point catch-and-shoot ability. Now, there's some other stuff. We're going to talk about the quick, you know, attacking closeouts and some stuff like that, but... We're going to talk about some stuff he does really well offensively. And one other thing I want to mention, defense. he was a really good defensive rebounder last year as well, Coach Spins. And that also plays into the lineup versatility that Bill Self will have. You could play him at the four and know that he's going to go grab you rebound. So I wanted to add that in real quick as well. But, man, I just – every time he takes a corner three, I'm praying for it to go in. And, you know, when it does, I get super excited. When it doesn't, it just – I mean, I just want it so badly for him because everything else is just so good. So much fun. Yeah. uh, Big, big, big fan of everything that uh, we talked about on the defensive end of the floor. He just needs this to complement it in order to stay on the floor in the NBA. Another small thing for me has been quick decision-making off the catch. When you are 
a shooter who's not always the most secure in whether that shot's going to go in. Uh, you tend to hesitate sometimes. Or if you're not a guy who can easily create for himself off the bounce, you may catch the ball and not always know what to do with it. The trifecta is pass, dribble, shoot, right? And I think right now the shooting has been a little bit questionable. He doesn't do a ton for himself off the bounce. He's a good passer, but he can't just rely on that from a connective standpoint to be – a guy that's in an NBA rotation. I think we've seen that from an Isaac Okoro this past year with Cleveland. Like I think of them as a little bit different type of athletes and body types, but very similar in how they might be deployed at the NBA level where they're defensive specialists. But if the shot doesn't come around, it's really, really tough to trust them. Even if there is a little bit of transition handling and, and smart playmaking that goes with it. Yeah, it's funny you say Okoro because I, I wanted to bring the name up and I know people are like, well, he was a you know top whatever pick. Right. And and here's I also want to give this in context because this is going to be important whenever we talk about El Marco. Whenever I'm at least, and I think you as well, talking about Kev, it's essentially just, you know, as an NBA player, not necessarily yeah. a first round pick or whenever we talk about El Marco, I'm going to give some more context there because I'm kind of judging El Marco as a at least a first round pick, if not a lottery pick, because that's where the conversation is around them. So I just wanted to make sure people understand that with McCuller, we're talking about just, you know, is Kevin an NBA player? What does he have to do to just be an NBA player? And and again, I also want to, I think he had plenty of chances to go be an NBA player right now. Those may have been two-way contracts and the NIL money at Kansas may have just been more than what a two-way contract is. But I I think the NBA interest in McCuller was, was enough that he had some opportunities to go be an NBA player right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So getting back to the film here on, on the kind of the quick decision-making off the catch, like there are a lot of times when he catches the ball and holds it, particularly in the corner, that's a, a challenge for me. We teach our guys, you've got 0.5 seconds to it. shoot it, drive it, or swing it. You've got to do one of those three things. You cannot hold the ball for more than a second. And particularly that's appropriate in the corners because you've got kind of two extra defenders around you with the sideline and the baseline. So what we'll see here is just a few clips where Kansas can create a little bit of advantage for him. And he just kind of catches and holds the basketball and and doesn't really have the right area to know what to do with it. Sometimes it results in these jab step threes. Other times it's like really slow drives where defense can load up and it just it kind of kills the momentum that's been gained by an advantage created somewhere else. And here's why he's just not really, in my eyes, a guy who can create his own shot. Picks up his dribble at the logo quite a bit, just doesn't have the same burst, not a very comfortable shot maker off the bounce. And then sometimes it's not just whether you're hesitating to shoot it's decision-making comes down to, are you taking the right ones? And as a questionable shooter, you're really going to be asked to only take wide open ones. And if you don't have that trust that your teammates can get something better. So here we go with essentially 10 on the shot clock ball gets rotated to him in the corner and he's got a defender with a hand in his face, like wearing him like a cheap suit. I would never recommend this even for an elite shooter. To necessarily take like try to use your gravity to pump fake and go by him this is not really what i would trust from a decision making standpoint and it seems like a lot of it comes down to him hesitating and not always knowing what to do in the half court off the catch yeah i was gonna say like this one stood out to me and that that's just got to be a catch rip and go and yes. just a, you know probably an attack baseline look and at the lane again, yeah, and he's either going to finish or he's a good enough passer. I trust McCuller that when the help comes here, he dumps it off, hits the weak side hammer. He can make those types of reads. And just speaking to the, I think I had the mid-range, yeah, mid-range pull-up jumpers. He was 15 of 45 overall, 33% this past year. So, you know, not what you would want in the, the, the mid-range pull-up as well. But, you know, these are ones, if you're going to get this closeout, man, take advantage of yeah. that. And he is going to be in this situation a lot where he's the last one getting this, right? He's yep. getting one more passes against a bended defense. Yes. And so he, it's going to be really important for catch and shoot and make wide open or catch and attack a closeout. Or like you say, maybe one more pass is now there as well. But that, that 0.5 second decision is important. Yeah. Advantage creation is not something he's going to be known for. Won't play with the ball in his hands a lot. We saw the struggles in the mid range of just kind of create for himself. He has to be an advantage sustainer. 
When somebody else forces the defense to bend, he's got to knock down shots, swing it, or attack a closeout and make the right decision at the next kind of decision point there. So not thrilled by that shot selection in that regard. Uh, and here's just kind of another idea of that clip. Not the same ferocity of the closeout, but 23-22 on the shot clock here early in a game. The lane is pretty open to be able to rip and go past this. I, I just I think the shot is a little bit shaky, but he doesn't seem to trust the other aspects of himself as a driver enough to kind of compensate for that. Yeah, and I think he should, to be quite honest. He's a strong kid. I think he can play through some contact. He was 62% on layups in the half court. Yep. And so he's more athletic than what people will give him credit for. Again, he's strong. So it's not just about knocking down these shots. It's also about being able to take those uh, you know, lanes to attack off the bounce. And I guess my point is, I think he should have confidence yeah. in himself. I think he should believe in his ability to do that because he absolutely can. Yep. Totally agree with that there. Uh, one area I do want to compliment him for really oh, yeah. smart cutter oh, knows yeah. how to play off ball around the penetration of others. So when they create advantages, he can find ways to sneak in the lane. If he sees the back of his man's head while he's standing in the corner, boom, he's just going to go baseline, and Kansas did a really good job of finding him in those situations. A couple other really smart plays, kind of a, a little bit of a broken and jumbled possession with the way that Oklahoma State's defense Beautiful. has rotated. That's a, an unbelievable cut that he has yes, right there. And here's something that really brings NBA-level translation to me. So I talked earlier, I really like K.J. Adams. Same, same. <laughs> what a great short role playmaker he is. Hunter Dickinson brings much of the same, and so many teams in the Big 12 trap or hard hedge. So against those aggressive defenses, if Harris or Jackson or whoever else is handling those ball screens can throw it over the top to their roller, then Kansas is going to have a lot of four-on-three opportunities. Once that advantage gets created, I think McCuller is unbelievable at sustaining them. Really good and smart cutter who knows kind of that Steve Kerr concept of getting off the weak side. Again, here it is against press defense here. Another time and score situation, up seven with a minute and a half to go. Bill Self and Kansas are saying layups or kill clock, please. He gets the ball in the middle of that press, takes one or two dribbles, and throws a pretty nice lob there to Grady Dick. So again, smart cutter, connective passer and playmaker. Here are a bunch of kind of one more passes that he does make. If there's an opportunity for him to be able to see short roll, kick out to McCuller, nice awesome. smart extra pass. Like he makes the right basketball decision once an advantage has already been created for him. Nail hole, kind of short roll concept, give and go right there with Adams for the slam. And then here's a really fun one, short roll. Hit McCuller, then he finds a slicing guy on the 45 cut. So there's a lot of functionality to how he'll be able to play around smart players, around a short roll setting, which does happen a decent amount in the NBA. But if I were an NBA team looking at McCuller, I think one of the best player types to pair him with is a really good short roll passer and really phenomenal scoring guard who's going to command that type of extra attention. Those are just some of the little ways you can maximize what he brings on the offensive end so that you get to reap the benefits of the defense because I do believe it is that damn good. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like We've just swooned over his defense, yeah. and so I hope everybody remembers that as we kind of went in just a little bit on the shooting and you know playing out of the corner, which I think is fair. Like That's what we're here to do yeah. is, right. is be real and, and unbiased with that. But – Again, I just there's so many other really good things, and even you know some guys are like, oh, can he even play off ball at all? Well, McCuller can play off the ball. Coach spins. Yep. He you just showed the cutting and the one more passing and all of that. So it just really comes down to that stuff. And I do wonder. I'm really interested. I think you've talked about this as well with the new CBA and the value that championship level teams are going to have to put on getting older draft picks that we saw the Denver Nuggets do it, right? Yep. They went and got more draft picks at the end of the first and the top of the second because they knew they couldn't keep Bruce Brown and others. I wonder if McCuller is a guy that will be valued, even though he's going to be 23 years old and how many ever years in college, I could see a really good team saying, that's okay. We'll take him in the second round yep. because he can come in and, and play for us right now. And we don't have enough money to go sign someone that does any better than that. 
I think there's a, a really strong case to make for that. And I think that's the pathway forward for McCullough, whether that happens at pick 31, pick 51, or if he and his agency would eventually decide, you know what, the best spot to go is just to go undrafted and steer ourselves to the right two-way contract and see if that can turn into more. But it, it didn't do Austin Reeves any harm, did it? It did you know, not. It, it worked it out pretty not. well for him. So that's right. I don't I don't believe that your draft selection spot in the second round is a huge indicator of how much success you're going to have earlier on or later on in that process. But I think it's an astute point that winning successful teams are looking exactly for players like this. Come in and play right away, maximize what we can get out of you while you're on your rookie contract and have the defensive IQ to be able to fit in so that you can stay on the floor in the playoffs, but he's going to have to shoot. Agreed. And that's what, I mean, if he comes back and he makes 35%, 40% on catch and shoot, everything we just said is going to happen. Maybe he doesn't become a first rounder because of his age and the years of service and all of that. And that's okay. He's going to be a rotation NBA player for a really good team. He's going to make a lot of money. He's going to have a great career. And I I mean, I have, I don't know why it won't happen. I, I, you know, he's a hard worker. He's a great kid. And I think it's going to be a big year for him. So the reason that Bryce and I wanted to start with McCuller, and I I know El Marco Jackson is the flashy name of the two to really talk about, but what happens with McCuller, his shooting progression, and how Bill Self constructs the rotation is really going to have a huge impact on the type of role that El Marco has on this team. So before we dive into the tape on him, he is a guy that's been rumored by several other outlets to be on this like preseason lottery hopeful potential top 10 pick i know a lot of my colleagues who i work with are very very high on el marco jackson because of the progression he's undergone over the last year got so much better this year playing in south kent and is poised to be one of the more versatile guards that you can find in the country from an offensive standpoint right out of the gates before we dive into the film bryce what do you really like about el marco jackson yeah i mean he's an explosive athlete there's some really fun uh, you know, him getting off the ground, he can do it off one or two feet. I like just how much he has played with the ball in his hands. I like guys that have had that type of usage. I think the thing that stands out to me the most is his mid-range game. I thought his mid-range pull-up stuff was really good. And then he also is able to defend. I thought he put some good defensive stuff. You know, high school kids is interesting at times. As you know, it's not always as <laughs> consistent as right. what you want. So sometimes you just have to go with the flashes. And yes, a YouTube user, I, I'm not in the chat right now, so I can't respond to you, but um, you're a frequent listener over at the Pistons Pulse as well. So yes, shout out YouTube user for, for tuning into this. So uh, El Marco is, is very, very intriguing to me. I told you though, after I dove deep into it, I came away with a few concerns and, you know, hey, this wasn't quite as good as I wanted. And we'll get into some of that stuff as we go through the film. We will. So I'm going to watch and and pull up some clips here. They're overwhelmingly positive. We'll talk at the very end about a a couple areas that he's going to have to improve. But what I want to really be able to show here is the best version of El Marco Jackson, which is if he plays like this and showcases these skills all the time, then that's what's going to really turn him into a a one-and-done prospect, a potential lottery guy, because that's what we're hoping for here, right? Like if he doesn't, if he's not this version of the player, he's probably not going to declare for the draft next year. He's going to be much wiser to come back to Kansas, get better for another year, and still have an upward trajectory ahead of him as a sophomore. Yeah, and like I said, I, I know I said this earlier, and you we're we're looking at him as a lottery pick yeah. as we go through this with McCuller. We were just like, hey, what's what's this guy's an NBA player? What's the path? How does he get there? Whether it's a first round, second round, undrafted free agent, doesn't matter. With Jackson, it's how does he become a lottery pick in 2024? Right. And I think the first way is showing off his athleticism. <laughs> um, very few 6'3 or maybe 6'4 guys can get off the ground as quickly and explosively a nice cut. as he does. Unbelievable cut right there. Springing off one or two feet. Loves to play in transition with the ball <laughs> in his hands. Yeah, that's a, that is a hammer right there, my friend. And again, it's the opportunistic kind of view of the court season open lane and drives to it. These were a couple clips that I wanted to show here, not just because it's against my guys here in Baltimore of Team Thrill, but because this zone set, this back screen lob. Bill that Self Mark, staple. That's right. This is something that I would put 
$100 on we see sometime this year, this exact play resulting in an Marco Jackson lob. Is he the best player on the roster for that? Like, as soon as I watched these clips, I was like, this is something KU does. You, we've seen him do it with yep. everybody. Josh Jackson, Andrew Wiggins, on yep. down the line. He might be the best guy. On this roster, I on think. On this so be, roster, yeah, yeah, sorry. McCuller, not, not compared to those guys. On the, <laughs> McCullough's a good passer out of it, too. He threw yes. that a couple times last year when I believe they got Jalen Wilson out of it. When you play Dickinson and Adams together, they'll be screeners in this set in a really impactful way. I think there are a lot of ways that they can manipulate it, but I think Jackson's going to be the most athletic leaper where we'll see him in that situation. I love it. No, I, I like that a lot. And yep. I think it. I don't want to over – like. Being able to elevate the way he does and be explosive off one or two or feet two. is yep. important, guys. Yes. I, I think sometimes that can be undervalued. And because some guys truly, I, I, listen, I was nowhere near an NBA talent, <laughs> nowhere near. I just want to make that clear. But I was only a one foot leaper, Coach Spins. I, I could really get up off one foot, off my left, off two feet. It was just okay. And I could barely dunk off my right foot, to be quite honest. But you know, it just, it, it's a real thing and it does matter because it's not always where you can get off one. It's not always where you can get off two. So he, the fact he can do both is important. Well, I am what they call a credit card leaper. As <laughs> in when I jump, the only thing you can fit beneath my feet and to the ground is, uh, is a credit card. So here's, here's one more kind of play that I think Bill Self likes to run a lot. It's an Iverson cut where they hit the guy at the first elbow Jackson curls off of the second guy for a layup or a lob here. That is another Bill Self staple. So I love the immediate translatability of what he brings to the table within Bill Self's offense. As we look at him putting pressure on the rim a little bit more in the half court, the word that I keep coming back to is sudden. Love it. He's really quick. He's shifty with the ball. He moves his hips. He's moving faster than like it looks like, like here's just a crossover to a one, two dribble. It doesn't look like he's moving at super fast speed, but he's able to get separation. And then when you put him in isolation situations, I mean, just the craftiness, the change of nice. direction burst is really there. You can go left to right. You can go right to left. Here's a behind the back that he's able to create separation on. He's got the finishing package and the ability because of his elevate elevation to change his dribble there. Yeah, this one was the nasty one. I feel bad for whoever we're showing this clip of. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Like that uh, is that is. Now I will say this though as well. If he didn't shoot it as well as what he does, yes. defenders don't. I mean, it's still a nasty move. It's a nasty in and out hezzy. But if he can't shoot it a lick, nobody's lunging as much as what that defender does, and he has to respect the jump shot because El Marco did shoot it, you know, decently. So, uh, you know, that, that's a component as well. Okay, so I have a question, Coach. Okay. And I didn't watch as much of the summer stuff. I watched mostly just his in-season because Synergy had a bunch of their games. Yep. I came away a tad concerned with the finishing package around the rim. I didn't think it was quite had the variety as what I wanted for a 6'3", 6'4", guy. I thought he got blocked a little bit more than I would like. Again, I realize he's young. He's in high school, but I'm projecting a lottery pick here, and I just would have liked to see a little bit more. Am I, am I wanting too much by saying that? You are not, and we're gonna. We've got some clips lined up okay, at the okay. end that kind of illustrate my concern there. I, I think the big takeaway for me remains kind of the natural ability, right? The one foot or two foot leaping because he's explosive and has some vertical to him. He can hang in the air a little bit, and what we've seen is an ability to absorb a little bit of contact and adjust his finish at the end. How consistently he does that, yes, like every other 18-year-old, he has to improve. But uh, I, I do think there are a couple causes that we'll talk about at the end. Okay, to at my least bad, my have bad. Some... I jumped nope, you're bad. good. You're, you're good. And then here is another pretty sick move. That um, is tough, Yeah, man. behind the back right there. So there that is a little bit of touch. What we'll continue to see from his finishes, though, is that he really loves his right hand. He yep. tries to find ways to get back to his right. He uses it on the inside, on the left side of the floor. But as Bryce said, he is a good shot maker. He's a very compact shooter who's proven that he can make them with pull-up range out to three. You cannot sag off of him in a ton of situations, or he is going to be a threat to pull. I think he's more comfortable right now in the mid-range than he is necessarily to three. There's a nice right-to-left cross into a pull-up jumper. I think he likes the right elbow a little bit more than anything else. But again, that right to left cross into a really smooth, fluid pull-up, that's going to be a huge and really important shot for him. 
All right, so the numbers on that, Coach, 41% on catch-and-shoot threes. That's really good to me. 44% on unguarded. So yep. we talked about him having to play off the ball, right? I mean, we, we talked about the lineup big picture, but for a guy who played quite a bit in ball screens and with the ball yep. in his hands, he's going to have to play off the ball at Kansas. No matter who else is on the floor, we know Dewan Harris is going to have the ball. And as we've talked about, they can play through Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams and those guys as well. He was only 24% on dribble three-pointers, but we saw clips where he can do it almost 50% on dribble two-pointers. So that yep. plays into the mid-range pull-up, and I thought that looked really, really good yep. um, in the mid-range with the true jump shot. I know we'll talk about the floater a little bit later. We will. And again, just wanted to go over a couple of clips here of that catch and shoot stuff, ability to play off ball, decently quick release, pretty compact form. I like the way that he lets teammates know when he's open, kind of relocates and slides a foot or two in order to get himself open. There's some real positive traits. With I that. love that one right yes. there. Shoots it really comfortably. We'll watch this one again. Coming in semi transition, just realizes there's nobody guarding him and pulls right away without hesitation. Yeah, and I liked some of his footwork. I thought it was it was good. It's not like he was like sprinting off screens, but it, subtle off-ball movement, yep. Coach Spins, where you know just one or two feet keeps the spacing, and that's important at Kansas. That's another yes. thing that that Kevin McCuller does really well. Just mm -hmm. subtle movements, getting to the right spot, and so that's really going to play into El Marco's strengths at KU as well. So I, I like his potential playing off the ball when he has to, just to knock down shots, move to the right spot. The footwork will be good on the shot. Yep, but the the real juice uh, to squeeze from the orange is with the ball in his hands. And we've yep. seen, I think it's important to show, first of all, that he can hit those dribble pull-ups because that's going to change how he's guarded in ball screens. Now, at the college level, teams are a little bit more one-size-fits-all. Like, this is what we do sure. against ball screens. And in the Big 12, he's going to face a lot of different traps and hard hedge coverages. But if teams go underneath or if he finds ways to get into the lane, I've been really impressed by his passing lead read. So here yeah. he is against New Hampton school uh, team that played a little bit more drop coverage, was able to turn the corner and get into the lane. And he just makes a really I love good this read. One. So he has this distinct ability. It's like a micro skill kind of to throw these, these passes to shake guys or spot up shooters that are below the level of the defense. Like he feels when there's a lateral Avenue to throw a pass and it's, it's really unique. I'm going to start this clip from the very beginning so we can see that again. But I, he's got two of these, one with his right and one with his left that we'll see simultaneously here where he just boom, kind of zips it at like five, four, five feet, four feet above the ground really impactfully. Yeah, I mean, I think I put in my notes, like he just finds the necessary path to get the ball where it wants to go. And he has the right and the left and the hook and live dribble and all that stuff. And it just, the one, those that one just really stood out to me because he gets into the lane. He almost sits down in a yep. squat to get where he needed to go. And, you know, you could critique things here and there, but I'm like, at the end of the day, there's just a natural feel for, okay, I need to get the ball here. This is where defenders are. I got to get to this level to get the ball to get there. No, the decision making isn't always perfect in that. We get it. He, he's he's a young kid. I just think that that feel is really really impressive. Yep, and I like where his eyes go. So I, what I loved about yes. this clip is as soon as he beats the front line of the defense, he's essentially got three defenders that are swarming him and circling him. His eyes are still on the weak side here, so he jumps to kind of make a pass, trying to figure out if he's going to go to the top of the key or to the opposite corner. And he ends up kind of deking out the help side defender. Really yep. smart play. Yeah, I love eye manipulation. Is yep. I know you had your bingo card the other day. I don't know if it was already on there. If, <laughs> if it wasn't, I know I sent you a tweet. I should have that eye manipulation is overused yeah. by me, but it's one of my favorite things from creators and ball handling. That was nice as well. Yeah. So he, he some really good passing flashes from El Marco. Absolutely. Yep. There's yep. the right hand hook. Shifty. Like this. Yeah. So that, that's your play right there. Coach, so you've shown him in the last, you know, two minutes, sit down in a squat and throw a pass from three feet above the floor on target to the shake guy, and then come back and throw a right-hand hook over the top of the defense. And, like, it's just that nuance and variety truly, truly matters. And he's going to have a couple really good targets at Kansas when he's running pick-and-roll stuff. He is. And, and another thing he might be able to run a little bit is pick and pop. 
So yeah, yeah. I'm, I am curious to see how he and Hunter Dickinson are able to garner a little bit of chemistry in that regard. And here are a couple clips of him, whether it's a hook pass over the top, just finding relocation shooters at the top of the key. I, I do trust that there's a lot of feel to work with out of ball screens here. Again, it's just a theme of the podcast. Can Kansas space the floor appropriately enough for him to get into the lane and make those reads? We know big 12 teams are going to come out and force them to play through the short roll, which is why I'm a huge believer that Bill Self has actually built this roster in a positive way because he keeps finding short roll creators who can punish teams for blitzing ball screens. But that may limit what El Marco is able to show this year with the ball in his hands. If he does declare for the draft and have a really good year, I hope people remember these types of clips and say when he does get into the lane, he is a pretty good decision maker and still has that shiftiness to him. Yeah. And this we talk about all the time. And I've had to learn this over the last three years. If I've done this more and more is sometimes people go, Oh, well the high school film, the high school film, like, well, why go back to the high school film? They're playing college. We have new data. Why not just go to the new data? But to your point, if teams are just going to blitz KU, get it out of his hands, and yes, Dickinson and Adams can make the plays, but maybe the play finishers aren't there on the other side of those, right. then teams are going to continue to do it. Now McCuller cuts and gets a dunk and knocks down a corner three, and Timberlake's knocking down threes. Well, now they're not going to be able to do that, and now we'll see El Marco really cook because teams are going to have to drop or do something different. Yeah, Big 12 is going to be the annual bloodbath that it is, <laughs> and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but let's let's hit on a couple of those small improvement areas here, and it has to do a little bit more with his runner and his finishing with his left hand. I think he's very right-hand dominant, doesn't seem to have a great plan or elevation when he gets into his runner a lot of the times. But if you push him to his left, like I, I don't love the touch on that floater. I don't love the attack plan. He doesn't slow his body down enough. And then this play right here is one that I wanted to highlight because it looks like his man is doing the Daniel Tice special. This is the, uh, the kind of the illegal <laughs> post up that is a screen to try to get El Marco all the way to the basket. And he actually takes off of his right foot here, which means like I would lean forward and, and try to get this an inside hand finger roll. Yeah, I yeah. might even be able to finish this with your left if you have comfort in it. But yep. he kind of rises overhead and ends up taking this kind of dinky, like mid-range jump shot off the glass, which just doesn't spin in on that time. The numbers aren't great on runners. I, I oftentimes think that those numbers can be deceptive because sure. it's a really small sample size, and the difference between a runner and some sort of a, a touch layup is really not all that great. But the film really indicates to me that he's got to rework his, his footwork a little bit, and he's got to find ways to – incorporate his left hand into a positive arsenal yeah i had the same thing in my notes and you know especially some of those runner floaters just the touch wasn't as much as what seems like it should be with all the other skills he has yeah. and so i think for a guy his size that's just an important play or a, it's an important finish for him to develop along with the mid-range jumper he just isn't going to always be able to go to the to the mid-range jumper at times like that clip there you know there's a couple different options as well um so that that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on so bryce after going through all those clips like where are you at right now on el marco are there any other pieces of his game whether it's defense or other areas you watched in your scout of him that you wanted to bring up yeah so like i like the on-ball defense had some really nice possessions and i think he's another guy that has super active and aggressive hands that probably stood out to me the most and so as we talked about with kev mcculler he, you know, those guys are going to be nightmares. And we're talking about those two guys. And then, as you said earlier, DeWan Harris's defensive player of the year in the Big 12 reigning. And so th that good luck to perimeter players yeah. in the Big 12, because those three are going to be a handful. So I saw enough from El Marco on the defensive end to be excited. Also knowing, I think I, you said this on a recent podcast on Game Theory with Sam Vecini that Bill Self is the best coach in, in the country. I don't know if that was you or if that was Sam. but It was kind of both of us, yeah. <laughs> I agree, and I think he gets his guys to play defense. So I have a lot of – my point is I have a lot of faith that the tools that El Marco has shown are only going to get utilized more and grow under the tutelage of Bill Self and that coaching staff. Totally agree with that. So I think there is – 
reasonable optimism that he's going to be a, a one and done in a lottery guy. Um, if he's able to show all of these skills and traits together, he's got enough of a well-rounded game in the backcourt. He's athletic enough in different regards. He does sit down and, and defend. There's a lot to like about Omarco Jackson, but I, I really struggle to fully commit to him being a guy that's going to be in my top 20 or, or even a one and done until I just feel more comfortable with what this Kansas Jayhawks team is going to look like and what his role looks like on the team, because there are so many upperclassmen starters that are returning. And I think fit and shooting is going to be what's prioritized most. Well, and here's what's interesting with this draft as a whole. I think I've told you, I know it, everybody's saying it's a weak draft coach spins, I say it's not great at the top, but there's I like a lot of the depth. I, I like too. what you can get from 10 to maybe even 40, at least right now, right? The data changes all the time. We haven't played a single college game yet. All of that stuff. We have guys transfer, you know, leaving Louisville today, and now they're going, yep. to, you know, to the NBL. So who knows where guys are even going to play next year? But my point is, I don't think El Marco is going to get into that top 10 conversation. And then so that 10 to 30, the rest of the first round is so convoluted, he could get lost in that shuffle really, really easily. If other guys play well, he's not starting. Maybe the jump shot isn't true right from the start of the season. That stock could take a hit really quick. And so that's I'm with you. Um, I, when I first watched him, I really liked him. I'm like, yeah. oh, I really like this kid. Like, I think he's really good. And then boards started coming out, Coach Spins, and I'm like, Top 10 good? Yeah. Lottery good? Oh, okay. Maybe <laughs> I'm lower on him than the consensus. Yeah, and like a lot of that is like people continuing to grasp for the high upside guys who can play their way into that territory. And I think El Marco certainly stands out as one of them that has the potential to do so. But I keep reminding myself, and I'm trying to do a much better job of that this year than I have in the past, how damn hard it is for guards who are under 6'5 to really make it in the current NBA. So yes. I just I don't want to fall in love with those guys too early because I know the bar is that much higher for all of them to clear. Like El Marco could have a fantastic freshman season and showcase a lot of different things. And I still don't have him in the top 10 or the lottery because of the position he plays and its translatability to the NBA level, even if he showcases above average athleticism for somebody of that position, he can play on ball and off ball. All of that stuff does matter, but man, is it hard to be a, a point guard or a guy who's a little bit smaller in the modern NBA. Let me ask you this. Were, would you be more confident in his lottery potential if he was at a school or in a situation, let's just say in a situation, because it could be a situation at Kansas, where he was going to be the primary creator, where there wasn't Dewan Harris, and we knew going into the season, El Marco Jackson is going to be the quote-unquote point guard for this program. Would you have a little more faith where he was going to play as a true point guard? I think I automatically kind of have to. Like I, anytime you get the ball in your hands and you get to showcase more of what you can do, that's just going to be an easier translation for NBA scouts to fall in love with. And look, I, I think he's going to have his opportunity because Bill Self is so damn good. He's going to be put in positions where he's best served, where he's yep. going to be able to succeed. That's the nice part about Harris. Like he's not a ball dominating point guard who's going to go out there and score by any means. So perim perimeter reps are going to be there for him. It's just, there are so many mouths to feed on this Kansas offense. I think they're going to want to play inside out. As I mentioned earlier, the big 12 loves to come out and hard hedge or, or blitz ball screens, which means that as a, a pick and roll initiator, you're more of like the, the relay guy, uh, so to speak than anything. Like you're the center fielder throwing at the second base as opposed to throwing the strike uh, to the catcher to, to tag the guy out. So I don't really know. I, I think you have to be a little bit not concerned by any means, but just lower on where you would have him preseason just simply because you don't know what the role is going to be. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just an interesting dynamic where, yeah, you love the chance he's going to be able to show his off-ball stuff and his ability to knock down shots and, you know, do those type of things. But then you just, like you say, you're little concerned that maybe people are going to forget this on-ball pick-and-roll right. stuff that we saw in high school. And, again, that's why, you know, hopefully scouts will go back and either remember it or watch it or whatever needs to happen so people right. don't forget that he did have that in his game.
And that's not to say Kansas is a bad choice, by the way, because Bill yeah. Self <laughs> Bill Self is going to coach him up and prepare him in the NBA in ways that very few other coaches and programs in the country really can. And at the end of the day, you get better by going up against great competition. Year after year, the Big 12 is one of the best, if not the best, conferences in the country. Yeah, the, the track record at Kansas for guys to go there and become NBA players is just fine. So there, there's no concerns there. It was just, yep. you know, like I say, just the situation they're in because they have really good players and yep. – there, there's something good for your draft stock whenever scouts are going to be at your games, whenever you're going to be on TV, how many ever times, and you know, a number one team in the country, at least for part of the year, playing deep into March Madness, assuming. So um, there's a lot of positives that come with that as well. Bryce, this was super fun, and I hope yes, that sir. your Jayhawk fans and friends <laughs> were able to get a lot out of this. Before we get you out of here, please let the people know what you got going on and where we can find your work. Yeah, so if you want to follow on Twitter, at Motor City Hoops, it's a lot of Detroit Pistons stuff, but also more and more NBA draft stuff. I do a podcast about the Pistons, the Pistons Pulse, if you are a Pistons fan. Backed by the Detroit Free Press with my co-host, their beat writer, Omari Sanko for the second. And I write for Draft Digest, draft coverage for SI.com, so... If you want to check that out, I would appreciate it as well. Coach Spins, you're the man. I appreciate you. I love coming on the podcast. You're doing big things, and this was a lot of fun. This was a ton of fun. YouTube user absolutely loved it and thought that we had great synergy. I know this isn't our first time working together, but not. we, we got to keep making it a, a frequent thing here because uh, I, I always love having you on, Bryce. Uh, for those of you who are looking for some of my work this week, and you all know where to find me at the box and one underscore on Twitter or my Substack page, theboxin1.substack.com. Uh, getting to the time of the year where we're doing some longer form video breakdowns on sophomores and juniors. Have some think pieces coming out as well. And then trying to do one of these every week, if not every other week. Loving these breakdowns. So please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Find us on YouTube as well as wherever you can find your podcasts. But until next time, we'll see you later.